This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're speaking with Raj Chaudhry of the consulting firm Crow Horath about his top five tips for protecting health information. Thanks so much for joining us today, Raj. You're welcome. The first tip you offer is to safeguard data from unauthorized individuals. So what are some of the best ways to do that? Well, let's make sure that when we assign user accounts to individuals, let's make sure that their role matches the access they are provided to the systems. So that's definitely one of the key elements of HIPAA, to make sure that only the people that need access to that information have a user ID or a user account. Second would be to make sure that when they set up, the user sets up their password, the password complexity should be such that nobody else can easily guess that. A lot of time, the default password may be set as uh, your last name or a number or whatever that's easily guessable. So we recommend that as soon as a person logs in the first time, that they're forced to change the password. And that's a couple of ways to really prevent unauthorized users from accessing data. You also suggest that healthcare organizations monitor controls on key systems and check for inadequate logging. Please explain how best to accomplish that. One of the requirements uh, of the HIPAA security rule is to monitor who is accessing what part of the protected health information. Most systems today that are implemented have the logging capability. So based on the requirement, first thing we're going to make sure is that the IT staff turns on the logging capability. So you collect who accesses what type of information pretty much 24-7. Just logging by itself is not sufficient. What you want to do is make sure that somebody looks at that data as it's collected. As you can imagine, there's so many different systems in a given uh, hospital. So in that scenario, there's lots of log data that's accumulated. But somebody should put together a set of rules that helps them sift through the data and look for exceptions. That's what I call monitoring. So you're turning the log on to begin with. And second, then monitoring the data to make sure that only the appropriate individuals have access to that data. So those are a couple of the areas when we say you should turn on the logging. Inadequate logging is all over the place. Turn on the logging mechanism. Second, review that on a periodic basis through a series of rules that you can put into an automated system of some sort that will help you do an ongoing monitoring You also suggest reviewing access controls. So what steps does that include? This is access control from what I call at a network layer level. When I say network, it's the once you log into every morning you come to work and you log into your system, that is the network level control. Do you have a user ID on that network level? Second, do you have the appropriate password at that level? So at that layer... This is typically controlled by IT. A lot of times we find that to be fairly good in terms of monitoring and uh, implementing that type of control. Second, once you get beyond that, is uh, when the applications are accessed by user. 
a lot of times you may have a separate password for that unless you've implemented a common password, uh, et cetera. But otherwise, you would want to make sure that you have proper control at the application layer level. How do you make sure that that is monitored on an ongoing basis and that it's secure? Again, the complexity, the password at both these layers is critical. The second thing we do recommend is to make sure that if a non-authorized person tries to log in using your user ID or password at either layer, after a certain number of login attempts, that the password is locked out so that the person cannot go beyond that. So as an example, if somebody uh, externally breaks into through your firewall to get to your systems, is now trying to guess the password, in that scenario, you've got to make sure that you have some sort of a lockout after a few series uh, attempt. I typically recommend any more than 10 attempts, uh, failed attempts, one should be locking out the, the password, if you would. So those are some of the ways to com- control access. Now, you advocate creating strong vendor management functions. So tell us some of the best ways to manage business associate relationships so that privacy and security are protected. I call the vendor management function as the entire life cycle of a vendor management process. What does that include? It's from the time the business decides to select somebody to assist you, a business associate in in this scenario, to assist you with uh, fulfilling some part of a series of tasks or whatever. So first step in that is get the agreement from a legal perspective. So you need to make sure that the legal counsel is involved, you have a standard business associate agreement that is signed. Second, before you release the data or allow access to the systems, we recommend that the minimum use rule is applied to the data. So it goes to IT, IT either ships the data out or allows business associates to access that data. Then the third is to go beyond that is to do some sort of a performance review, making sure that the business associate that you've given access to or provided data to is got the right kind of control to protect that data. So do some sort of a performance slash vendor review. And the fourth, on an annual basis, get assurance from the business associate that they are still following the rules that they that you expect them to follow. What I find in a lot of the covered entities in the business associate agreements, number one, they don't have a good inventory of all the business associates agreements in place. Second, they are not all consistent and not updated on a regular basis. And then most likely people don't apply the minimum use rule and provide more information than is necessary to perform that series of tasks that they were hired to do. So to prevent that, the entire life cycle needs to have a fresh look to do an annual review and make sure that if a business associate is not performing that work anymore for you, that you terminate the agreement and cut off any access or any shipping of data that's happening. With the silos within any of the entities, covered entities, that becomes a bigger issue because if there's no centralized contract management system, this becomes to be a big challenge. So here's some of the ways to look at it as a life cycle to help you monitor how this processes working for you to minimize your loss of data. Finally, you suggest developing business continuity management and incident response plans. What are the key elements to each of those? 
the business continuity management as a whole is an area which has multiple elements to it. Number one element is called a business impact assessment. Number two is once you've done a business impact assessment, you try to develop what I call a business continuity plan. And the third element is doing a disaster recovery plan. What we find in most instances is that companies will go through and IT will prepare a disaster recovery plan, which would help recover in case of a disaster. But when you go back to looking at whether they have a business continuity plan or even a business impact analysis done, typically those two are not very robust. IT may go through and do a test on an annual basis that they can bring the systems back up for the disaster recovery process. But who are the people and who would you escalate in case of disaster? Who's responsible? Who's got the responsibility to be the command center, if you would? That part typically is missing. System's only one piece of the entire puzzle when you're trying to bring a system back up. An incident happens, like the you know we had a WikiLeaks post-incident when some of the websites were attacked by rogue uh, individuals. I call that a security incident. Or you have a disaster of any other sort which would be considered a breach or considered a tornado or any kind of a bad weather elements can create an incident. So how do you make sure, besides the system side, first of all, the system side is critical. The second is to make sure that the people side is taken care of as well. Business impact assessment, if it's done right, tells you what are the most critical systems and what kind of recovery time objectives you have to have to minimize or optimize, I should say, the total cost of a business country management function. So those are the key elements that need to be included when you look at business continuity management and incident response planning. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Raj Chaudhry of Crow Horwath. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.